0: Welcome to episode number 16 of the FlynnMcLaughlin.com podcast. My name is Flynn McLaughlin, uh, and this is the podcast. Uh, this one is going to be the Bonecast, the podcast. I actually don't know still yet. Uh, I think Zach and I have d- differing opinions on that. But <clears throat> uh, this episode is going to be about dog bones. So I figured who better to talk to about dog bones than my very own dog bone disposal unit. Gina, Dowfire, Lynetti Johnson, McLaughlin. Um, also, I just want to note this is her first time recording, so please excuse the excessive mouth sounds on her part. So getting into this, if you're a dog owner, or maybe just a weird cat owner, I'm not really sure, uh, then you are no doubt familiar with the idea of treats and toys for your companions, um, most notably Bones. Uh, one of the most traditional and well-represented treats for canines is, like I just said, Bones. If one takes a look at television, movies, uh, and even just your local pet store, it is abundantly clear that bones and bone like materials or bone resembling materials, uh, you know, rubber bones, all kinds of stuff, are the premier dog toy and shape. Um, modern veterinary medicine strongly recommends against using natural, actual bones, but uh, most dogs are actually chewing on something that just kind of looks like a bone. Um, although sometimes there are, you can buy real bones still. Um, so, anyway. When you consider humans best friends and where they come from, uh, it's not exactly that logically demanding to determine why dogs like bones, but I'm still going to explore this topic uh, and just kind of look into where this practice comes from and get a little bit of input from little Gina. So you want to say hi, Gina, go ahead. Okay. Uh, so while reading an article about the relationship between traditional Mongolian steppe peoples and their dogs, I found a quote that says, Dogs are almost never given food or what humans consider good food um, and usually eat you know, leftovers like bones, like I've said a million times, old tea leaves, raw intestines, uh, dishwater, like all kinds of stuff like that are generally given to you know, dogs in traditional communities. Um, and so, they are still getting human food, but it's always just kind of scraps. But I think it's a pretty good example of the thought process behind giving dogs bones. Um because they're scraps. They're just a part of the, the food that isn't quite, it's not exactly useless. Uh, you can you, It has flavor in it and has stuff in it, but it's hard for us to access. So it's not really uh, something we want. But they also are good at chewing, uh, good, good chewing. And dogs do like to chew things, as you may know if you have a dog. Right, Gina? Um, so there you go. Uh, I also read an article on psychologytoday.com, which I, I'm not sure if that's even a reputable website, but hey, I'm, I'll link it to you anyway, that claims that bones themselves were a crucial source of animal fat for early humans, uh, coming from bone marrow, mainly. I mean, there's also some like bits and pieces of meat and stuff. Um, this information, while seemingly a little bit irrelevant, uh, came, to the, came from an excavation site in New Mexico dating around 1450 where fatter male cattle carcasses have been dragged away from the butchering site, leaving most of the leaner female carcasses, uh, which indicated the significance of those fattier bones. Um, the ability of a species to access certain nutrients like fat may be critical to its survival. Hence the development of specialized teeth and powerful jaws in animals like hyenas and the extinct dire wolf meant to crush bone. So, those are both canids. Uh, actually, hyenas are... Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Well, maybe we'll have a hyena cast someday. Um, But modern dogs that we know do not have those same capabilities, obviously, because they're, you know, domesticated, smaller, uh, you know, no offense, Gina, but a little bit weaker. Uh, However, they, and even in the case of small dogs like Gina, can bite with a strength of up to 700 PSI on average, uh, which is definitely more than enough to crush some bone. So uh, they're well suited to the job, regardless of the fact that they're not quite as suited as their ancestors. So there you go. Uh, with these factors in mind, it is not that hard to figure out why dogs like chewing bones. Um, they're evolutionarily conditioned to want it, um, and they have the means to access it. So why wouldn't they at least try? Um, yeah, I mean it's pretty simple. <laughs> I, I don't. That this section was more just uh, laying out the basis of why dogs like bones. Gina, do you have anything else to say? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll take that as note. Um. Uh, As many dog owners already know, it isn't a good idea to give your furry little friend a cooked bone, um, because these often become super brittle after heating, and that'll lead to splintering um, and bone shards and all kinds of stuff that your dog will chew, which is obviously not very good for the intestines, uh, or the throat, or the stomach, or any, the mouth, all of it, it's all bad. Um, So you definitely don't want to, definitely don't want to give them a cooked bone. Um, uncooked bones often have little bits of meat and fat and gristle on them that sometimes contain salmonella, sometimes they don't, but they are just kind of nasty. Uh, so a lot of the time you don't really just, you just don't want to have them around your house that much. Um, they probably won't make your dog sick, but I don't, that depends on the dog, I suppose. And I also found an article on PetMD uh, that highlights some of the more, more crucial safety tips. So I'll just read out a section of that for you. Uh, quote, if you want to give your dog a bone because chewing provides mental stimulation and can help keep the teeth clean, Dr. Karen Beckers recommends picking a raw bone that is approximately the size of your dog's head. Bones of this size will allow your dog to gnaw while helping to reduce the chances that your dog will break off and swallow a chunk of bone that can cause health problems. So there you go. That's the PetMD recommendation for you. Um, As big as your dog's head. And that kind of goes for everything, too. I'll get into that in a little bit. But, yeah. And one more note. uh, When cooking, the fat within the bones and the bone marrow that I just talked about is going to leak out. And that basically just makes it a calcium chew toy, so even if it wasn't going to splinter apart and break on you, it's still just kind of useless for a dog. Right, Gina? You wouldn't like that, right? No. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of reasons not to feed your dog a natural bone, but fortunately, we modern humans have figured out a clever alternative. So, Instead of subjecting our dogs and selves to the dangers that I just discussed, modern dog bones are mostly made out of rawhide, uh, which is essentially dried animal skin prior to the full tanning process that makes it into actual leather. Uh, it's just like pieces of rawhide. As There you go. Um, the material is very absorbent, um, and it it's, has a naturally meaty taste to it because it's flesh, uh, which makes it a good material for dogs to sink their teeth into. Uh, Rawhide is also used in a number of non-dog applications, like stretching over drums, uh, making shoelaces, and, according to Wikipedia, uh, it was used historically by some cultures, I don't remember which ones, but you can find it easily, uh, to torture people. So, basically, they would take wet rawhide and wrap it around a body part, and as it dries out, it would tighten up and constrict them. Uh, So, usually, I guess it would kill you, but, hey, I don't know. Uh, Um, so for non-torture purposes, uh, rawhide is generally just gathered up at a slaughterhouse, cut into strips, and then placed into a high salt solution, um, and made into the shape of a bone and allowed to dry out. And that's how we get dog bones. So, shout out to rawhide. Um, in reading an article from the American Kennel Club, I learned that rawhides, while far safer than natural bones, do still have some risks. So, I'll talk about them here. Uh, Depending on your dog's size and general style of chewing, there can be issues digesting and or choking on a chewed-off piece of rawhide. Uh, Smaller, more timid dogs, like Eugenia, will most likely not really run into as much problems with rawhide because the bits that they can rip off and do rip off are a lot smaller um, and they can swallow them easily and they pass through the digestive system, no problem. But bigger, more gung-ho dogs, like many people have, uh, often will bite off a piece that is quite literally bigger than they can chew um and they will choke or you know all kinds of stuff can happen that goes wrong It uh, can expand in the stomach a little bit or in the throat i mean a lot of bad things can happen um uh, so yeah i'm not going to say to take your big dog's bones away because that's you know kind of silly but at least be observant of the way that they chew um and the size of the things that they're breaking off because Especially if you're going to be gone for a long period of time, or going to work or whatever, just in case, you never know. Um, And they also recommend that you learn how to do CPR on your dog. Uh, I don't personally know how to do CPR on a dog, but I'm going to consider looking into it. So, some, some food for thought. Now, Gina. I know that you love bones, you love treats, you love food, you love people. But there's a whole world of dog entertainment out there, and... We call them toys. <clears throat> so you have your Kongs, your tennis balls, and in your case, Gina, you have Lamb Chop. Uh, and for some dogs, they'll, they'll, they're they happy with just a stick, you know? So it, it's there's all kinds of toys out there for all kinds of dogs. Um, what a dog will be interested in depends on a lot of their breed and the physical and behavioral attributes of that breed. Um, but also dogs just have an individual personality. So, you know, like I said, Gina loves Lamb Chop. And I think a lot of dogs love Lamb Chop, but I'm not quite sure about that. Don't quote me on that. Uh, I don't plan to go too much into depth because little Gina is getting antsy, but I do want to talk a little bit about other dog toys and their significance to the species. Um, mostly because I found like one article that I got way too into when I was researching. So um, let's see. Okay, so I found an article from researcher G. M. Berghard on from the Behavior Journal, which I assume is just focused on animal research. I'm not really sure. Sorry, I didn't look that into it. I, I just read the article. Um, and discusses the role of object play in animals, particularly in dogs. Um, they basically ran an experiment to analyze the motivations behind play in dogs, uh, where they presented a number of toys to I think it was like five different types of toys to three different breeds at approximately three to seven weeks old. That's the range. They they started the study when they were three weeks old and then followed them till seven weeks old with like I think it was a check in every other week or every midway through each week. Sorry. <clears throat> Um, and found that there's a wide range in playtime and playstyle, depending on the breed, as well as the age of the individual. Um, So the breeds that they chose were Welsh Terriers, Vyshlas, and Poodles, standard Poodle. Uh, And according to the study, the Terriers seem to be a little bit developmentally behind the other dogs, both physically and mentally. And here's a quote. While it appears that Welsh Terriers were less interested in toys, this may be due to their slower (coughs) developmental trajectory i.e. sleeping more than other breeds. Um, They were very toy-oriented when awake, but were physically less able to do as much with them. So They're a little bit smaller, so they're not quite as physically capable of messing around with stuff. Uh, They also found that social play, as in dogs playing with each other, uh, developed later than solitary play in all three breeds, with ficholas and poodles beginning to play together around 4.5 weeks, and the terriers taking it all the way to six to seven weeks, like the end of the study. So it, that just further evidence, I guess. <clears throat> um, the conclusion of the study is not very conclusive, to be honest with you, but they, they did state that puppies from a young age, oh, there's a quote, by the way, puppies from a young age develop their play behavior beginning with initial exploratory no- nosing responses, which gradually incorporate a growing number of behavior patterns and longer play bouts. Um, so dogs start off by kind of exploring the world, sniffing around, messing around with stuff, and then eventually they start to play with stuff for a long period of time. So that's uh, that's kind of the, the main conclusion that they came to. Uh, in cats, social and object play peak in a different order than in dogs, though. In cats, social play is more prevalent than object play up through week seven. Uh, and after weaning ends, around seven to eight weeks, however, cats will shift into a more primarily solitary object play rather than social. Mm, there's a lot to this study that I'm kind of leaving out because it's like 27 pages long, and I don't have that kind of time. Uh, Like I said, Gene is trying to to dit. But uh, I'm not going to lie to you, uh, it is a a fairly interesting article, if a little bit boring. So I'd I'd recommend checking it out if you're at all interested in why dogs play with toys and and what they do with them. Uh, It's, it's, you know, I guess it's all kind of self-explanatory to the person who owns a dog, but it's still interesting to see. Um... But yeah, check it out. I'm going to link it to the, in the show notes, so you'll see. And there's also a bunch of facts and figures that they use that I, I didn't include because I can't do a picture in the podcast, but it is on the website, so you can check that out. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really all I got for today. Sorry it's been so long since I made an episode, but hopefully I will be getting back to my bi-weekly schedule soon. Um, I just honestly haven't really been writing. That's, you know, just been too bored, <laughs> so uh yeah i'm gonna i got some good stuff in in the works that i'm i'm starting probably in in the coming week but yeah this one's gonna be a bit shorter just it's just me and g um and she's been quite vocal but still not quite as vocal as another guest so i don't really have any discussion to do uh so yeah gina you got anything else to say (laughs) nope all right well thank you guys for listening and uh yeah i'll see you all in two weeks It'll be a lot better than this one, I promise. (laughs) Goodbye.